Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, we got a Q&A. Guys, if you want your questions answered, I got to say this right out the gate. If you want your questions answered, make sure that you are reaching out to me through the podcast form. We created this form specifically for questions. Uh, there's two main ways to get on the podcast and get your question answered. The first one is that. There's a link in the show notes. You can click that. You can fill it out. Um, it does give me your name and email, but the only reason for that is because if I need to expand upon that or ask you questions about your question, I'm going to email you back. Uh, but that's a good place to ask your question. The second place is in the private Facebook group. So if you're not a part of the Boom Boom Performance podcast private forum, the BBP private forum uh, on Facebook. Click the link in the description. You can get in. It's completely free. It's just a good place for a uh, good community. It's my culture. It's my tribe. It's my community. It's the people who listen to this podcast. So like-minded individuals listening to the same thing you are, are in that group. The only requirement is that you answer a few questions about me and this show. And that just lets me know that you actually listen. You're not some robot or bot. <laughs> so go over there, head in there. You can join the discussion. You can ask me questions. You can comment on posts. Um, you can share ideas. You can get ideas from other people and really just be a part of a cool community. So I wanted to put that out there before we jump into the Q&A because we got a lot of really good questions today. Um, I'm going to try to get through as many of them as I can, kind of go rapid fire style, but I wanted to start with just reminding you guys constantly, I am here to answer your questions. The purpose behind this podcast is to help as many people as possible. So I want you to ask me your questions so I can help you specifically, literally. The next thing, there's a few announcements, a few shout outs, a few things I'm going to shout out and say before we jump into this Q&A. Um, the first one is shout out to my sponsors, Cree Pure and Top Notch Nutrition. If you are going to take creatine monohydrate, which I almost always suggest, I even have my dad take it. It's a really good supplement. It has a lot of great benefits. Make sure you're taking something that has Cree Pure with a green logo on the label because then you know it's pure, you know it's legit, and you know you're getting what you are paying for. The second one is Top Notch Nutrition. Head over to topnotchnutrition.com or click the link in the description. If you click the link in the description, you will be using my link and you will automatically save 10 to 15% off for being a podcast listener. So if you want to try something out, it is the supplement company that I use for all of my supplements. Um, I talk to them on a regular basis because I know the owners. I recommend them to my clients. My family takes them, everybody. So really recommend these guys. Click the link in the description. Make sure you are saving money because I want to help you save some money on your next supplement purchase. The last thing I'm going to say, guys, is right now we are still in quarantine and it is an uncertain amount of time until we are out of quarantine. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because we have a lot of people making two different decisions. One decision is waiting for progress to happen when we get back to normal, uh, which is, again, uncertain. And then the other option is taking action and creating results in spite of what's going on. And I'd have you consider that taking action in spite of what's going on is going to set you apart from the rest. It's gonna get you way further ahead and it's gonna allow you to accomplish more than you thought was possible. We are seeing so many people losing weight, building muscle, changing their performance, and really seeing great results, managing stress better, having more time with family, connecting with loved ones, following their nutrition. So many different aspects of their life and results are improving even though we are in such a negative place. And why is that? It's simple. 
the accountability and a support associated with coaching and allowing you to have a different perspective, tap into a positive focus in a negative scenario and have some kind of structure to make sure that you are controlling the one thing that we have control over at this time, which is our body. It's going to set you apart. It's going to give you the best results possible. So I'd have you consider that now is a great time. If you need help with this, please reach out to us. This is what we do full time. We are giving so much extra value to all the people that are working with us just to make sure that they're getting through this time and they're doing something about it uh, while they can. Because right now, again, this is one of the only things that we can control. So I just want to give a big shout out to A, my team of coaches who are all badasses that are crushing it right now. Um, and B, the members that are working with us and working so damn hard and still seeing progress, still seeing success and joining us on the lives and the different things that we do in the TCM family Facebook group. And then the last person I want to shout out is you. If you need help, if you need coaching, if you need guidance, if you need structure, if you need systems, if you need accountability, if you need support, please reach out to us. There's a link to apply for a free strategy call in our description of this podcast. We want to talk to you. We want to help you. We want to teach you on that call. And then hopefully we want to work with you if it's a good fit to get you where you want to be and use this time wisely. All right, guys, without any further ado, Let's get on to the Q&A. First question comes from Melissa L. George from Instagram. How do you go from an OCD-obsessed macro counter to an intuitive eater? Really, really good question. Um, I believe this question was actually a comment on my infographic that I posted. If you guys didn't see that, go check out my Instagram. Really good infographic. It's actually old. It's a repost. Uh, but it's really valuable. That's why I reposted it. And it's basically a path and it shows, um, I'm going to pull it up just to explain to you guys because it's really, really powerful. It's a good way to look at this. So uh, it's called using macros as an effective long-term tool. Step one, build awareness. Step two, plan and periodize. Step three, achieve desired result. Step four, sustain. That's the purpose of a diet. So how does this look? Well, if we look at a map, it starts with a written food journal. Then it moves to tracking calories. Then it moves to tracking calories and protein. Then it moves to tracking all macros. Then it moves to a, probably a reverse diet. Then it removes to sustaining maintenance. And then it removes to tracking calories and protein. Then tracking calories. Then written food journal. And then finally intuitive eating. So you start in this place of just journaling a little bit. And you end in this place of just journaling a little bit. But it's this process of tracking calories. Then calories and protein. And then macros. And then reverse dieting. And learning how to sustain it. And then reversing that process all the way till you are intuitive eating again. That leads you to be able to intuitive eat. And her question was simple. How do you go from being an OCD obsessed macro counter to an intuitive eater? And I think it comes from multiple things. I think if you have OCD over it, you have to get to the root cause. The reason you have OCD over macros isn't because of macros. It's because of your personality type. It's because of your insecurities. It's because of your doubt and your abilities. So the reason a lot of people get this OCD um, aspect is because they abuse the system or they get into very stressful situations emotionally, mentally, physically that cause this stress response. They cause this doubt, this fear, this scarcity. Um, and you fear that you're going to lose all your progress if you don't track with, with ultimate OCD uh, precision, right? So how do we go from this? I think the, the, it's hard because like I could say follow the infographic. Go from tracking all macros to just tracking calories and protein, then just calories, and then just track calories every few days, and then go to a written food journal, and then eventually intuitive eat and just weigh yourself and make sure that you're sustaining weight throughout that process. If you can do that, you can successfully move to intuitive eating. I think that's the, the logical or the theoretical uh, way to approach this question and answer this question, but 
it's not always practical. It's not always applicable. It's not always reality because there's some people who can't just go, Oh, I'm just going to track every couple of days or, Oh, I'm just going to do this. You know, it's, it takes a lot of work. It, it's a lot more stress than, uh, it's easier said than done, I guess I'm saying. So I think in those situations, I, I honestly think you got to work with a coach or a nutritionist or a dietitian or even a therapist. I think if you're going too far on the spectrum of OCD and anxiety and stress over your nutrition and your dieting relationship is that poor, I think you need external help. And it usually has nothing to do with food. Um, so I can't give too much guidance into that because it's a very psychological um, and personal situation that's a little bit out of my scope of practice without ultimately knowing you. But I will say this, what I've learned over the years uh, in my own journey from getting away from being OCD and just using macros as a tool um, was A, education. So learning what macros are, learning how close you need to be to macros to be A plus grade uh, uh, precision, learning what changes your body composition seeing how refeeds and things like that work with your body. So you can see that changing your intake for a temporary period of time isn't going to delay progress like crazy. Um, and just learning more and more and more and studying what other people do, studying what other coaches do, seeing other experiences, stuff like that helps a ton because what you'll notice over time, and this just comes from education, it's, it's logical, but a lot of us don't think logically, we think emotionally. Um, 26 grams of protein from chicken breast isn't much different than 25. And two grams of fat isn't that much different than 1.5. You know, and the reason I say this is because if your macros say you need to hit 150 protein, 200 carb, 50 fat, and the end of your day you have 156 protein, 203 carb, and 52 fat, you're just barely over in each area. You're still golden because guess what? There's no way for you to test the nutrients in the food that you are putting in your mouth. You don't know if that apple is exactly 29 grams of carbs. You don't know if that cup of rice is exactly 45 grams of carbs. You don't know if that chicken breast is exactly 2 grams of fat and 26 grams of protein. We just know that these are the closest possible measurements. Shit, food labels are 20 to 25% off. So that doesn't apply to natural food. I, th I think the, the margin of error with whole foods is way little, uh, way smaller, but, and safer to use, but it's still there. There's just no way. Like, and I, I've said this before on the podcast, it sounds weird, but a chicken running around in the field has a different amount. Each chicken has a different amount of fat, muscle tissue, health, so on and so forth. Tendons, collagen, protein in their body, so on and so forth. So that means every chicken breast you eat is going to be a little bit different. Not by much, but it will be. So I think that like that was a really good one for me is like really understanding like, you know what? Like it doesn't really matter because you're probably not actually accurate anyway. You're not perfectly accurate. If, you're, if your macros say 50 grams in an app, it's not actually 50 grams. It might be 48, might be 49, might be 51, might be 52, might be 50. Who knows? But it's probably not. So easing up on yourself to realize like, I'm being OCD over something that is impossible to be perfect on. It's literally physically impossible to be perfect on unless you have a lab and you're putting every single thing you consume through, um, uh, I can't remember what they're called, but it's a, it's a, a machine that measures calories in, in a unit of food. So units of calories per, per whatever thing of food. So unless you have that in your living room, which you don't, I, I think you're screwed. So like, that's the first thing, awareness around what's actually needed. Um, the second thing is awareness around what it takes to get results, because I know for a fact that if you stay within 10 grams of carbs and protein and five grams of fat, 
of what I prescribe you, you are going to get 99% of your results. Very few people work with me who are at a point where their plateau is so hard and their body's being so stubborn where I'm like, hey, I want you to get within like one to two grams of fat and like three to four grams of carbs, like that close, like get really nitty gritty close. And sometimes we do that with competitors and people getting a photo shoot or people who are just really stuck and not, uh, and they're just plateauing. But what that causes is it causes a hyper focus and precision on weighing your food, tracking your food, measuring your food, stuff like that. And that leads to more accuracy and that leads to better results. But very like it's not very often where I feel that that's even necessary. If you're tracking your macros and you're getting within five to 10 grams of carbs and uh, protein and within three to five grams of fat every day, you are doing super well, 100% A plus plus. So knowing that, from listening to a coach or getting coached or doing it yourself and seeing that that's really what all it takes, I think that helps too because you can see the proof in the, is in the pudding. You, you can do it and then see that it works that way and then you have a little bit less anxiety around it because you're like, oh, well, I was this close and I still got the great results I wanted. So it's obviously working and I obviously don't need to be that exact. Um, and then the last thing I'll recommend is, is just building a r- awareness around, so it's all about awareness, obviously, but building awareness around your, your headspace, your personal state of mind. Um, are you meditating? Are you journaling? Are you reflecting on your mindset, your attitude, your emotions, your well-being, so on and so forth? Um, I think understanding the way your brain is wired and the way your brain thinks and the way your brain conceptualizes things, I think is really, really important for being able to adhere to a diet and not getting OCD, you know, I think that's huge for that. So that's the last thing, just working on your mindset. Uh, but in general, I think like, how do you go from OCD obsessed macro counter to an intuitive eater? It takes time. Uh, it takes time trying intuitive eating and failing. It takes time probably binging, it takes time overeating. It takes time having a full blowout cheat day and feeling regret and guilt the next day because you need to go through it's 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 failure that creates the ability to succeed so you sometimes you have to go through those things and see what why and how okay i'm i'm binging on a saturday night after this situation happened and i had this stress and low sleep and and here's what i'm feeling write that down be aware of it and then move forward um, I think the podcast I did with, uh, Dr. Kristen Scott was a Dixon was a really good podcast on that. So if you haven't listened to that, go check that one out. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things I could go into. I think coaching is the best Avenue though. James cross smartest way to program at home workouts with people who have limited equipment. Um, I would go check out the podcast I did. Uh, I think it was called 10 ways to maximize your results while stuck at home. Um, and I just dive into all the the things. And I think really this comes down to effort. And I've talked a lot about this lately because it, it's not ideal to have to work out at home with just body weight or just bands or having no gym access and not as much space, so on and so forth, obviously. Uh, but the best way to make the most out of it is is simply pushing your intensity, pushing your effort. So is every set you are doing, are you, are you reaching near failure? Are you within a few reps of failure? Like literally within one to three reps of failure. If you are, your effort and your level of intensity is at a, at a level that is going to match that of what creates hypertrophy from the gym. So it's important to do that. And I think a lot of people miss out on that. Um, and they forget that intensity and effort is such a pivotal and, and important factor when it comes to this stuff. Um, so that's going to be the biggest thing is definitely making sure that you're pushing your effort. Um, I think smartest way to program for most people is going to be full body if you have no equipment because – 
you can just get more done and you're going to have to repeat it. So I like doing like an A, B or maybe an A, B, C workout um, and then repeating. So you can go session A, B, C, rest, A, B, C, rest, A, B, C, rest, so on and so forth. Um, I mean, in one of my uh, bodyweight programs that we run through True Coach in the Tailored Trainer, um, we did a f- upper lower and then we did a full body and I really like the full body and, and it's it, this exact way you go session one, two, three rest or cardio and then repeat. Um, and I'll just read off session, uh, one, for example, um, this is all supersetted. So it's one big strength circuit and there's five rounds of it and each round you decrease RIR. So you have a backpack squat first backpack squat is where you fill a backpack full of as much shit as you can <laughs> books, soup, water, whatever you can, DVDs, (laughs) whatever you have that you can put in a a backpack that gives you some weight. And then you're going to hold it in a zercher position, um, like a sandbag squat in front of you. So it is a front loaded squat. You're going to do anywhere between 10 to 15 reps. Set one is RIR three. Set two is RIR two. Set three is RIR two. Set four is RIR one. Set five is RIR zero. So you're going from leaving a few in the tank to leaving zero in the tank going to failure. So your first set, might be 12 reps and then your second set might be 13 by the end you might even do 20 reps right i don't like people thinking super strictly on the rep range when it comes to bodyweight workouts at home i would much rather you be focusing on the reps and reserves your effort matches because if you do a backpack squat um, let's say somebody uses a suitcase and fills the shit up with so much stuff they can get 10 reps because it's super heavy but somebody else doesn't have that much they can put in or, or a very small bag they can put in they do 20 reps that's fine. Either way, you're going to get the same result if your effort is matched. Um, okay, so next exercise is a table inverted row. Same exact thing with reps ten, between 10 to 20, and it is the same RIR scheme as the sets go. Um, you're resting one minute in between ex- each exercise. Exercise three is a single leg hip thrust. Exercise four is a push-up. Uh, and exercise five is a sit-up. And then we finish with an EMOM of burpees. So we're doing five full body movements and it's literally squat, pull, hinge, push, core. That's it. Push, pull, hip, knee, core. Uh, day two, pistol squat to a box, bent over posterior fly, bench hamstring curl, which is a really good hamstring curl variation that you can do with a couch or a table or a bench, pike pushups, and then lying leg raises. And then we're finishing with a leg matrix that day. Uh, but these are cool because it's a full body movement. We're hitting each movement pattern. We're hit, hitting every muscle group. You're doing a strength circuit. So you're taking shorter rest periods, but it's not delaying your performance because A, you're doing body weight and B, you're switching from upper to lower, upper, lower, upper, lower each exercise and you're going in a strength circuit fashion. So it keeps you going. It doesn't take too long and it's not overtaxing. So really, if you want to, you could do five rounds, take a five minute break and do it again for somebody who needs higher volumes or do it at night again, do two. Um, but that's a really cool one that I like. Um, you can do upper and lowers as well. Um, I mean, we had a full lower day where we're, we were really playing around with different like push up variations and, uh, isometric holds and things like that just to challenge the body in a new way. Um, so I think that's the thing is like smartest way to program there. There really isn't a smartest way. This, I, I think full body works really well, but you can also do upper lower. I think finding a few things that you can use as tools and then repeating the same exercises. I think you have to get creative with intensity techniques and and how you are challenging people through the ranges of motion, whether you're adding negatives, pauses, tempos, um, segmented reps where you do like a quarter squat, half squat, full squat, three quarter squat, half squat, full squat, and then you're pausing along the way. Um, Single leg movements are going to be super important. 
you can do so many different things to create intensity out of a simple movement. But the thing is, is you can only do so many bodyweight movements, right? Like I think there's only so many ways to do a pistol squat or a split squat, um, which is fine. But don't be afraid to do the same exercise week after week after week after week. Just adding volume, adding intensity, or just getting better at the movement. Like if you suck at pistol squats, which a lot of us do, just get good at doing pistol squats. And I think like a lot of people are so used to programs constantly evolving and changing um, that they forget that it's actually more beneficial to do the same thing for weeks and actually progress steadily on it. Um, so yeah, that's that's my take on that. Jessica, I think it's Jessica. You can correct me if I'm wrong. It's J-S-K-A, Jessica. But I'm starting to think that you abbreviate your name of Jessica. J-S-K-A. Bot. Let me know. Top three pieces of equipment for an at-home gym on a budget. So if I had to get just three things, I would get uh, a, a set of bands. You can buy like – I'm going to count that as one piece of equipment, bands, because you can buy like a bundle of them and it comes with all the different resistances. I definitely would get that. Um, I would get a pair of parallettes uh, that are high like to like mid-stomach. Um, you can get those on Amazon. I think I got mine for like 50 bucks or less, but those are cool. Cause you can do L sits, leg flutters. You can do pushups. You can put your feet on a bench or something and do pushups. You can do dips. You can do, uh, inverted rows. You can go underneath it and do inverted rows on it. There's a lot of things you can do with it. So I definitely would get a parallette and then I would probably get one kettlebell. I would get one 45 pound kettlebell. Um, for me, I think a 45 pound is great because I can do slow tempo rows for high reps, single arm. I can do high poles with it still. I can do kettlebell swings with it and still get a decent metabolic workout with it. I can do goblet squats. Um, I can do half rack squats. Um, I can do presses overhead. Um, you could do RDLs and stuff with it. It's not very challenging because it's not a super heavy weight for me. But I probably would pick a kettlebell. I feel like it's the most versatile piece of equipment. And I feel like if I went with a 52, I'd be more limited because overhead press, pressing starts to get a little bit more difficult. Um, even though a 52 would be nicer for swings and rows and stuff like that. But I'd probably go with a 45-pound kettlebell, um, a pair of parallettes, and then a band, set of bands. Jessica Stahl, how to alleviate knots in your shoulders and arms. I never got them before, but did a bunch of those quarantine push-up challenges, and now they're gnarly and won't go away. And when I do upper body lifts, it hurts and just gets worse. I know massage would help, but I didn't know if there was any other secrets. There's no secrets. I think the best thing for you to do is um, – and, and shameless plug to Top Notch Nutrition. I actually uh, do like two or three servings of their relief when I have any aches. Um, it, it's, it's mainly just curcumin, um, but there is some, some things in it that help that curcumin actually work. But the point being is it's an anti-inflammatory, a natural anti-inflammatory herb, and it's really helpful. So I usually like doing that with our recovery. When I was, uh, when I had surgery, I took a ton of it. Um, I just tweaked my knee last week, <sighs> not doing anything cool. It's funny cause I was in the gym and I, I think I did, uh, 250 for sets of eight with cl uh, close stance high bar squats, which is heavy for me after surgery. Um, I did heavy RDLs, heavy walking lunge, like it was a really brutal leg day. Felt great. And then I go home and I'm messing around with my daughter and I tried to roll out of her. She has this like little princess tent. It's like this little pink princess tent in the corner. 
And she loves bringing me in there. And I, and I can barely fit in this little thing. But she does it every day. It's so cute. She'll, she'll grab me and she runs into her room. So I run in there with her and she crawls in there and like waves me in. As soon as I get into this little tent, she laughs and leaves. and She ditches me because she knows I'm going to chase her. She wants me to chase her. So then I crawl out and then I'm like, hey, get over here. And she just thinks it's hilarious. And she starts running and then I chase her. And then once I catch her, I tickle her and, and kiss her and she laughs. And, and then she gets off. She usually jumps on the couch and I do that. Then she grabs my hand, runs me back in. And, and I'm not shitting you like 10 times in a row when I get home from work. Like I'll get home in 10 times at least before she starts getting really gassed out from running away from me. Um, and it's fucking hilarious. But last week I was like trying to roll out of her little tent super quickly. And I just cranked on my knee, my good knee. And it just popped. And I was like, Oh, I just did not feel good. Um, so what did I do? I rested, I modified, I didn't do squats. Um, I took extra relief, relief from top-notch nutrition. I took extra fish oil, which is another anti-inflammatory. I didn't take any ibuprofen. Um, and I rested. That's it. And I think that's all you can do. The thing is, is if you're doing more upper body, you are going to make it worse. The reason mine got better is because I didn't go squat afterwards. I, I wanted to, but I was like, I'm going to take my next leg day off. What did I do? I did mobility. I did some pump work and just have fun. But I skipped that day. It's not the end of the world. It's like one of my main focuses right now is actually to build my quads. So I was frustrated and I wanted to train them, but I didn't. So I think for you, there is no secret. Um, even massage is very temporary. So yeah, you can have somebody kind of dig in there and relieve some of the tension. But the best thing to do is stop using the muscles that have these knots in it for just a little bit. Because having adhesions in your muscle is fine, but having painful adhesions, like to the point where it hurts and it's limiting your range of motion and your ability and flexibility, then yeah, you need to cool it and maybe not do it for a little bit. But I think the best thing to do is just take a rest. Um, if you want to double down on some supplementation, I would say fish oil, um, and relief from top notch nutrition, and then just lots of water and rest, honestly. And you can ice it a little bit if you want, but, um, the best thing to do is, is really just, just take, take a break from the <laughs> the quarantine push-up challenges. Emma Becker, uh, how to deal with a period of bad training. I'm still getting lots of daily activity through walking and bike riding, but struggling to bring myself to do at-home strength workouts in my tiny rented room with only two bands. Barely even feel like touching them. I know there's no motivation. I know there's no motivational key there's just doing it, but I just can't bring myself to push myself like I would in the gym in my tiny apartment room with no mirror, etc. How do you deal with a period of bad training? I think there's a few things here. I think number one, remembering that what's bad doesn't need, like I think, like I said this to one of my mentor clients the other day when I was on the phone with them, I said, make the most out of a shitty situation. Create the least shitty situation out of a really situ shitty situation. We are not in a good place. We're not in an optimal place. So what's the minimal effective dose? Well, the minimal effective dose is just doing the damn work with the bands. And I think not to be uh, hardcore about it or, or, or very blunt, but you just got to do the damn work. I think that's really what it comes down to. Um, how do you deal with a period of bad training? Is It's remember that training not being optimal isn't going to regress your results. Not training at all will absolutely regress your results. So if you go in there and you know, like, man, I am so focused on making sure I don't backtrack at all instead of progressing, like you're not going into your living room like, I'm gonna PR today on this band bent over row. No, 
you're going in there like I'm going to work my ass off, create a lot of effort and re- reach near failure on every set, get a pump across my body head to toe. And I'm going to do this because I want to get back in the gym when this shit is all over and I want to hit it hard and be progressing still. If you do that, that'll happen. But if you continually skip the band workouts, you are going to regress in strength. You might lose some muscle tissue. It's temporary because it's mostly just muscle glycogen, I'm sure, especially if it's only like a month that you're out of the gym. But at the end of the day, it will happen. And what's even less motivating is when you lose track. Trust me, I just had surgery last year and getting back was not easy. You know, like I had to constantly psych myself up and talk to myself and get myself amped for the gym because when you are... Uh, I was 173 pounds, lean, fit, strong, pumped, and then I have surgery, and I drop to like 162, that's 10 pounds, 10, 11 pounds, and I look fat, (laughs) so like I didn't, you know, like I, I had no choice, but I lost muscle tissue, I lost muscle glycogen, I gained some body fat, that is a hard position to be in, now, if you do the work during this time, it's not optimal. You're not going to PR, but you're going to come back out of this and you're still going to be where you were at least. And that means that you're going to progress way more when this is all over. So my recommendation is simple. Think of the future. Think of how this is going to set you up for future gains. Don't think about PRing right now. Um, and if you constantly have your big picture goal in mind, I think it's going to be a lot easier to stay motivated to get those little workouts done in your living room. You had another question, Becca or Emma. And you said, also, thoughts on the health at every size, quote-unquote, movement. Lots of messaging saying all diets fail and all weight loss is bad. How do you see this affecting the fitness space, if at all? Um, I think this is like one of those things where it, it came from people fat shaming, which I don't think is positive. I don't think that's a good thing at all. But I also don't think it's, it's not good to be overweight. Like in, in trying to say that it is to make f- people feel better – is like giving a loser a trophy. You know, I don't think it's, I don't, it's not beneficial. Does that mean that when the kid doesn't win his t-ball game, we should call him a loser and, and acknowledge and say, hey, dude, guess what? You lost. <laughs> you don't get a trophy. No, like we're not going to do that. That's horrible. Really mean to do to a little kid. So by no means do I think we should put people down because they are not in shape, but I don't think we should encourage people that it's healthier, that it's safe, because we know that all-cause mortality, we know that all diseases, we know that this virus is another good example. You're more likely to be susceptible to death if you are overweight, Um, and that honestly is not surprising because that's how every single virus and disease is. You are not as healthy if you are obese and you will be more likely to have serious consequences if you are. So I think it's one of those things where it's like, do we need to shame people or call people names or put people down? Absolutely not. That doesn't empower anybody to do anything and it doesn't help them become successful. But we also can't pat people on the back, give them a trophy and tell them that it's okay because that encourages them to just stay where they're at and be comfy. And that's not the answer either. What people need is help seeking health. They need help improving their body. So, um, health at every size, I think, I don't, I think it has good intentions, but I think like we have to remember that the, the ending result should still be trying to lose weight because being at a healthy weight, which doesn't mean you're shredded, uh, being at a healthy weight is not being heavy or obese. It's just, it's just not. And then there's science to prove that that's not the healthiest thing. So I think encouraging it probably isn't a good idea. Um, so I don't agree with it. Um, I, don't, I think it comes from good intentions. And I think that um, 
most diets fail. I don't think all diets fail. I think if you do it the right way, it doesn't fail. Um, and all weight loss is bad makes no sense because weight loss is not bad. Um, the only time it's bad is if you are going into levels of, of really poor health, uh, amenorrhea, anorexia, things like that. Of course, that's not healthy, but um, neither is being obese. So how do I see this affecting the fitness space, if at all? I think it hopefully opens people's eyes to behaviors of humans and allows us to connect um, and communicate our goals and intentions and strategies on a more effective level because there's people who have a little bit more of a sensitive approach or sensitive uh, outlook on on what we're we're preaching and talking about. And I think there's a lot of people who are just straight up assholes in the industry. So hopefully it kind of weeds out the people who are not doing it the right way, but I don't think it's going to affect us too much in a negative way at all. it's kind of a neutral thing to me. Johanna Hernandez, this is a related question. I want to hear your opinion on this. There's this perspective. Oh, wait, never mind. I read that wrong. It's not. I guess it's kind of related. There's this perspective about this movement of at-home workouts being fat phobic from people who are part of the anti-diet and body love gang. Basically saying that these people working out at home are scared to get fat and it shows how fat phobic we are. So it's a bad thing working out at home and posting videos about it. Obviously, I find it ridiculous because how could you view someone making the effort to work out at home and posting it to help others get ideas a bad thing? Perspective is everything, and if that's how they view it, then there's something inside of them that needs to be resolved. I agree. What do you think of this, and how do you see the fitness community posting these at-home workouts? I see it as a good thing and it's a cool it's cool to see the community come to the rescue basically to motivate others and help others work out at home. So, what do I think about this um whole thing about I think <laughs> I think and this sounds very harsh, but I think there's a lot of people who are lazy and not into a fitness lifestyle and they're trying to put other people down when they rise. And, th- and that's common. We're human beings. There's a lot of people in the world that will put others down to feel good about themselves. Um, but really, they're doing it because they're not taking action. They're not getting healthier. They're not getting fitter. They're being more lazy during this time. And because of that, they feel bad. They feel guilty subconsciously. And because of that, they put others down to try to bring themselves up. And it's a common, it's, it's literally a common trait of humans, unfortunately. It's a very negative trait, but it's common. Um, so I think that's why um, I would agree with you that usually it's something that they have to solve. Um, I also think that if you don't want to work out at home, if you don't want to do anything, if you do want to skip work, like that's you. You're making your decisions for yourself, nobody else. So don't worry about what decisions somebody else makes for themselves and not you. Um, I always think, find it funny when people are so concerned about others, like eat, like with the, what they're eating, like what you eat doesn't make me shit. So why are you worried about it? <laughs> like what I eat doesn't make you shit. Why are you worried about it? Um, how I train doesn't give you muscles, doesn't change your life, doesn't dictate how your time is spent, it dictates how my time is spent. And if that's what I choose to spend it on, that's what I choose to spend it on. So I agree. I don't think it shows fat phobic at all. I think it shows um, people who are committed to fitness. I think it also shows health. Um, I think people who, you know, like people who, are trying to get more fit during this time or jumping into this movement at this time. I think they're looking to be proactive because they know that health is, is a scary and, and interesting thing right now. And it's hard to, you don't want people to, I don't know. You don't want people to go through this period of time, not getting healthier because what that leads to is this whole virus ending and then the world being the same. 
people still being unhealthy, people still not moving enough, people still stressing out. I really hope that this is a massive eye opener and wake up call to the world to be healthier. Um, you know, and, and, and for it to not be a bad thing to be health conscious. Why is it bad that I want to eat fruits and vegetables every day? Why is it bad that I want to make sure that my caloric intake is in check? Why is it bad that I want to meditate and, and prioritize my sleep? There's like this weird stigma that it's weird to do those things. But re the reality is this. We have one body to live life in. And if we're not taking care of it, we're not going to live life, period. So why not take care of it? Why not make it thrive? I would much rather spend every single day feeling really good and energetic than feeling run down and pathetic. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did, and it was awesome. <laughs> so um, I, I, I think it's bullshit. I don't think that's that's a sign of fat phobic. I think the at-home workouts is amazing. I think it's awesome how the culture and the community is coming together. Um, I think that after this is all done as well, I think uh, the fitness space and the health space and nutrition space is going to rise even faster and, and higher because – uh, people are going to realize after this, and they already starting are starting to. Um, trainers and, and nutrition coaches are the preventative care specialists. So, like, if you are out there and you are unhealthy, or you do get struck by the virus, or you do need to get healthier after this, the answer isn't a doctor. The answer is a trainer and a nutritionist, because those are the individuals who are going to help you lose weight, help you sleep better, help you manage stress better, help you fuel your body with nutrients, and help you avoid the doctor in these viruses. Um, the doctor is the rehab. We're the prehab. So I think like the fact that this is becoming more popular and there's a lot of really fit doctors that are promoting trainers and nutritionists because they know it's going to stop people from having to see them. I think that's really cool. So I think it's, I think by the end of this, we're going to see the opposite effect. And I think people are just like you said, I think people have other issues and, and they're deciding to take it out on other people for the wrong reasons. Renee Arnston. I was listening to the podcast you did with a friend where you both talked about how you don't deadlift from the floor anymore. Could you expand on that? I would love to have a trap bar or elevated platform, but wondering how I can make this work better for my low back. Dropping plates on plates seems a little rough. Thanks. Um, fuck, drop some plates on plates. <laughs> Get some bumper plates. Then it's not nearly as bad. Um it, with job, I mean, if you have metal plates dropping on metal plates, then yeah, you're, you'll hear some clanking, but I mean, it's not the end of the world. You could get, um, you can even get like foam yoga pads. We used to have these, like, they're like blocks. They're like a little tiny square. Um, I actually have some in my office that are for soundproofing and it, they would work the same way and you just put them on the floor and it, it like, it's like a riser. So you add an inch or two off the ground depending on what one you get, but it absorbs that shock. Right. And it's, it's just basically some thick foam yoga mat material. Um, just get those. Or if you get bumper plates, you can drop them on the bumper plates, the rubber, so they don't make as lot of a noise. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, like for Theo, he was the one that we were talking, I was talking about it with Theo is, is taller than me. I want to say he's like six, two, and he has really long legs too. So for him, it's really important because his femurs are so long that he has a lot lo more distance to travel from the floor. For me, I don't have that much distance to travel from before. I'm 5'9". I'm not a big dude. So for me, it's actually – it wasn't something that was like crucial. And, and for many people my size, it's not crucial to elevate. Uh, but I had a very weak core and tight hip flexors and underactive glutes back in the day. So when I first started training, I ignored those things. I ended up getting more and more back pain because I had weak glutes, weak core, um, unactive glutes. We called it sleepy butt syndrome where my glutes just wouldn't fire. And then I had uh, – 
uh, really tight hip flexors. So what happened is I would have lumbar spine issues. I would always have low back issues. Uh, my spinal erectors always felt inflamed. I couldn't get into extension at all. Um, couldn't hold a plank for super long. So it was really hard for me. Um, so I just, I think from years of, of not treating that, I, I still to this day elevate when I can, um, on a conventional, I don't elevate for a trap bar and I don't elevate for a sumo deadlift. Uh, but with a sumo deadlift and a trap bar, both of those create a range of motion that is less distance to travel, uh, because I'm lower to the ground, which means I have less distance to pull. So it's easier to do a sumo deadlift or a trap bar um, off the floor than a conventional off the floor for me. So I elevate off, off the floor when I do conventional deadlifts because the, the the lever and the distance to travel is a bit different. Um, but yeah, I mean, the main thing is just, it's just, for me, it just helps. Uh, I think like for most people, you should do this if you notice yourself rounding a lot, if you notice yourself having back pain. Um, especially if you're pulling from the floor, it's just one of those things. I don't, I don't really know what else I can expand on. Um, I bought a trap bar for a hundred bucks on Amazon. So it wasn't that expensive. So you can always get one of those or you can go sumo. Um, I, a lot of people do really well with sumo. It's just a wider stance deadlift. If you're not competing in powerlifting, and even if you're competing in powerlifting, you can technically sumo too. Um, I would argue that sumos might be better for glute development as well, uh, for women who want to build their glutes. Um, I would say conventional might be better for lat. It kind of depends on how you hold the bar, I guess. Um, for me, I, I put my hands on the outside of my legs when I do conventional, so it's just more lat dominant because I can bend the bar a little bit. Uh, but I can do that with the sumo too. So I, I don't know. I think that like you can switch to sumo too, um, and I just think you should elevate your plates, get some foam pads, get some bum plates, or just drop it on the metal. Who cares? It's definitely worth it if you have low back pain uh, because you, you mentioned that you do uh, have some struggle with your low back. Nick underscore fit 99. You say it is great to switch between lower and higher rep training. Is it possible to combine it in every training instead of doing a low and a high rep day separately? Are there advantages of the split high and low rep days and how much lower rep work should you do as much as the higher rep work seems like seems really taxing to me. So basically with periodization, like he's, he's talking about like a conjugate, like a modified conjugate method, which, um, we have a couple modified conjugate methods inside the Taylor trainer, but basically you have a max effort and a dynamic or repetition effort day. And what that means is you have one day that is a little bit lower rep range. So like, let's say, uh, the highest rep you do on that day is eight. So everything else is below like threes, fives, six, sevens. Um, and then one day you have a dynamic or a repetition every day, which where you're going, the lowest rep you do is eight. So you go eights, tens, 12, 15, sometimes even twenties. Um, and you have these days separate. Is it possible to combine in every training instead of doing a low and a high rep day? Absolutely. Um, there's a couple scenarios where I do this. One would be, uh, if somebody's doing three days a week, I like doing that. Um, so we'll start with a heavy compound and then we'll go into higher rep uh, accessory work in isolation. So you kind of mix the two. So let's say you're doing squat, squat bench, deadlift, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Those are all going to be threes, fives, and sevens. And then uh, on your accessory work, you go into the eights, tens, twelves, right? And that's a really good way to approach uh, hypertrophy or fat loss in a full body setting or even strength for, for the most part. Um, the other scenario I would do this with is like a, a beginner or somebody who is training four days a week and doesn't have any high intensity intervals in between. So if you're not doing a bunch of cardio, if you're not having a stressful lifestyle, if you're not in deficit, I see no problem with that. Um, if you do, uh, if you do like a low rep 
compound. So let's say you're doing like five by five bench squat, deadlift, overhead press. And then you have like your first accessory is like six to eight reps. And then it goes 10 to 12 and then it goes 15 to 20. Um, I think doing that every single session is totally fine. Um, I actually really enjoy it because I feel really good because there's a big neurological charge and like surge when you do those big lifts in the beginning. The problem with this is, is it is more taxing because you're doing really neurologically demanding work every single session instead of just doing it some sessions, which is where the benefit of splitting these up comes into play. If I have a, a, a modified conjugate method where I have one day where I'm just doing low rep training, I'm keeping all of my neurologically taxing work in that day. And then the next day I'm doing a repetition or dynamic effort which is going to be muscularly taxing. So my muscular system is getting taxed and fatigued, which is good, but my nervous system isn't getting hit as nearly as hard because um, I'm doing lighter loads and I'm doing more unilateral work. I'm doing more accessory work, more isolation work, stuff like that. So it's not as taxing as the heavy deadlifts and lunges that I was doing the day before. Um, now you said, uh, are there any advantages of the split on high on low rep days? It really is just that it's, it's balancing the intensities throughout the week. It's balancing your recovery and, and optimizing your recovery for some individuals. Um, if three fourths of your training is in the eight plus rep range and you're just doing one heavy, like five compound, like five rep compound lift at the beginning of your sessions, four days a week, not a big deal at all. If you're training five or six days a week, I probably wouldn't do that every session. I would do that for like half the session. So you could do like a push-pull leg split um, in three of the sessions you have a heavy compound and then the other three you have like a, a higher rep compound. So maybe your first up push day you do a bench press for five reps heavy and then it's very neurologically taxing. The next upper body day you actually – or next push day I should say – you do an overhead press and you're doing like eight to 10 reps. So it's not nearly as neurologically fatiguing, but it's still a compound lift. Um, and you're just going to balance that out a little bit more. How much lower rep work should you do as much as the higher rep work? Um, if you really do the math, probably it's probably the same. I know you mentioned that sounds taxing, but the reason it would be the same is because your loads are heavier. And if you times sets times reps times weight, your total volume and, and total mass and tonnage moved, it's probably exactly the same um, or very close. Uh, but your reps and total volume from a sets and reps perspective, which is usually what we're counting, is a lot lower. So how much should you do? Probably not as much. But again, it depends on your goal too. So if you come to me and your, your main goal is aesthetics, like for me personally, my main goal is always to just be as jacked as I can. Like I'm much more driven by hypertrophy than I am strength. Um, for me personally, three-fourths of my training is – actually, I don't do anything right now under eight reps, <laughs> literally. Um, so I think I have a couple sixes. That's it. Uh, so for me, like all of my training is in the higher rep range. Now, granted, I'm still doing a bench, squat, deadlift, overhead press, uh, lap pull-down. Like I'm doing heavy compound movements for eight reps. So I'm still pushing that. And like, I mean, like sometimes I'm getting seven cause we're pushing the weight and we're progressing linearly. Um, but I'm still keeping my reps pretty high, uh, and we're in a high volume phase. So I'm going to, I stay here for most of my training every once in a while. We'll bring in a low volume phase where I'm doing threes, fives, and sevens, let's say, um, just to build some strength and just to kind of sensitize my body to the hypertrophy stimulus that I'm going to go back to after four weeks, uh, doing a four week strength block. Um, but but yeah, I think I think it just I think it kind of depends how much how much you should do. It kind of depends on what your goal is. I think no matter what, your two thirds to three fourths of your volume should be in the rep range that is more most conducive to 
your goal. And again, like there's no hypertrophy rep range. Like they used to say eight to 12 is the, like the sweet spot for hypertrophy. It's not really true. I mean, you can get bigger and have hypertrophy happen at any rep range. Um, but it's easier to accumulate volume in the eight to 12 rep range. So that's why that is, because if you're trying to accumulate enough volume to grow and get bigger, uh, by doing threes and fives, your nervous system and joints are going to be destroyed. Like it's going to hurt really bad. It's not going to, you're not going to recover well. It's not going to be a fun time. Um, so it's probably best to not go that route. Um, you probably are going to want to stay at like eight to 12 rep range because it's easier to accumulate enough volume without damaging your system too much. Claudia Granville, I am looking for your book recommendations. I remember a list, but I cannot find it online. Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned that I wanted to do that and I never did. <laughs> so sorry about that. I need to write a blog where I just have like a book review and I just put like a ongoing, like constantly updated blog list of like my library and like just do book reviews on it. I think that would be really cool. Um, but, uh, you need book recommendations. Um, I'm going to just literally, I'm going to say one and pause so you can write it down. So grab a pen, grab a paper or pull out your notes or something on your phone. The one thing. The War of Art, Go-Giver, Crushing It, Wired to Eat, I'm reading my bookshelf right now, The Muscle and Strength Pyramids, Nutrition and Training, Practical Programming for Strength Training by Mark Ripitel, Fat Loss Forever, Bodybuilding by Peter Fish and Cliff Wilson, uh, Max Muscle Bible by Christian Thibodeau and Paul Carter, um, those are all the books on my shelf here at the office. Now I'm trying to <laughs> imagine what books I have at home. Um, start with why, uh, the alchemist, um, wayward pines. That's a fiction, but I love that fiction. Really good book. The hobbits, another really good one. Um, what else do I have on there? Extreme ownership is on there. Um, Delivering Happiness, uh, the story about Zappos. Um, Shoe Dog, the story about the Nike guy. Um, conscious Coaching by Brett Bartholomew. Crucial Conversations. Um, motivational Interviewing. Tribes by Seth Godin. Deep Work by Cal Newport. 12 Rules of Life by Jordan Peterson. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, how to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, so Good They Can't Ignore You. Total Recall, the biography of Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's actually a really cool book to read. Made to Stick is a really good one. 48 Laws of Power, Atomic Habits, um, uh, Leaders Eat Last. Oh, there's so many good books. Um, I just ordered uh, Brendan Bouchard's uh, High Performance Habits, I think it's called. I have the Performance Planner, which I like. So I ordered that. Um yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many books I could ramble out. And I, and I mean, I could dive more into training and nutrition as well if, if we wanted to. Like Power Eating is a great book. Um, How to Heal Your Metabolism is a great book. Deep Nutrition is a great book. Um, I even like The Vertical Diet. Like it's it's a diet. It's not really like a book, but it, there's a lot of good principles and uh, health information in there. Um, so there's just so many that I could give, but I think that's that does it pretty well. That's I mean, that was like 20 plus books. All right, last question today. Ferg Dobler. Hey, love your work. Quick question. What's your take on gr a greens drink versus a multivitamin? What are the differences in the two and are they not just doubling up on a lot of the micronutrients? Um, I absolutely think that 
you don't necessarily need both. I think having one of them during a deficit is really important. Um, during anybody, anybody who trains a lot, I think it's really important too because – so as we train hard, we are sweating a ton. So what happens when we sweat? Well, we deplete water. What happens when we deplete water? We drink more water. What happens when we drink more water and we're staying healthy? We pee more. So we're urinating more. So what is going on here? Well, what's going on is you are hydrating and you are urinating and you are uh, sweating and you are causing uh, uh, you're basically putting yourself in a position where you are more likely to deplete water soluble vitamins. It's not a bad thing. It's not something you want to stay away from because we want to drink water, we want to sweat, we want to get after it in the gym. But we have to be cautious that this might cause um, depletion of water soluble vitamins. So what do we do in that case? Well, we take a multivitamin or a green drink that has water-soluble vitamins inside of it. Um, certain vitamins are water-soluble. Certain vitamins are fat-soluble, which is the next point. If we're on a diet, what are we doing? We are probably restricting calories. What happens when we restrict calories? We, A, have less fat coming in in the diet, and B, we are burning more fat off our body. What happens when those two things happen? Fat-soluble vitamins become more likely to, to deplete. So if we look at studies on athletes and bodybuilders, the most likely uh, most common nutrient deficiencies, micronutrient deficiencies are going to be water and fat soluble vitamins because of these two reasons. Um, so taking a multivitamin is helpful for that reason. Taking a green drink is helpful for that reason. Um, I used to always just take a green drink uh, because it was part of my habits and morning routine. It was not only because I wanted the extra micronutrients. Um, it wasn't a replacement for veggies because I eat tons of veggies too. It was literally just because when I wake up in the morning and I chug down 20 ounces of cold water with a green drink in it, it starts my day in a routine. It starts my day with a healthy habit and it gets my mindset in a position where I am ready to be healthy for the day. I'm ready to be productive. It just it's hard to explain. I got this from Wake Up Warrior years ago when I was in that program and we were doing these daily routines. But part of it was like you had to check off the green drink. You know, like did you did you move today? Did you do your greens today? That was just part of your daily checklist. Um, and I've always stuck that around. I also take a multivitamin as well just to make sure. Um, I like Legion's multivitamin and I like Top Notch Nutrition's green drink. So um, those are the ones I take. Uh, Legion's is – you have to take eight pills, so it's quite a bit, but the reason I like that is because a lot of multivitamins are underdosed, and this one is not, and that's why you have to take eight pills. Me and Mike talked about that on our podcast together as well, and it also has cool things like ashwagandha and things like that that will help with stress management, so on and so forth, so um, I think it's useful. I don't think you need both of them, um, and technically, we could argue that you don't need either of them if you are eating a diet that has a lot of fruits and vegetables in it. So if you're eating tons of micronutrient-dense foods, you actually don't need either one and you can just save your money. Um, but if you like to start your day with a positive, healthy habit like I do, then I think a green shrink is a great choice. If you are on a cut or you are training really hard or you're just naturally somebody who sweats a lot and drinks a lot of water, I think you should take a multivitamin as well just to be safe. It's just kind of like an insurance policy. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. 
This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.